The following is a sermon podcast from White Ridge Baptist Church. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Barb, thank you so much for sharing God's word with us today. And uh, my name's Doug Friesen. I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm glad to be able to share God's word with you today. Um, some of you might not know this, but last night was actually planned to be our church Christmas dinner. And so uh, definitely things have changed this year. We're not able to celebrate Christmas in the way that we are used to. But although the way we celebrate Christmas might be different, the how might change, the why doesn't. The why is exactly the same, and I'm hoping that this year, because we don't have as many as the hows, maybe the why can become more clear. Maybe we can more focus on, again, the reality of what is Christmas all about. And we just really want to highlight that Christmas is about the celebration of the incarnation of Christ. This year, we've decided to title the series, Fleshing Out Christmas. We really want to delve into the reality, the beautiful mystery and miracle that Jesus is fully God and fully man. And what does that mean for us? Paul writes in Philippians these beautiful words, Christ, though he was in the form of God, did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. We have a God who's so majestic and who loves us so deeply that he was willing to go from his experience of just pure glory to come into our world as a fully human being so that he could relate to us, that he could redeem us, that he could reconcile us. And this year, we're gonna focus specifically on that miracle through the Gospel of Matthew. And so as we get into the text, I'm just gonna ask you to join with me in prayer right now. Father, we thank you so much that you are not a God who is far off and aloof, but that you are a God who intimately and lovingly created everything out of your love and joy, your creativity, your goodness, your mercy, you created us so that we could have life in you together. Lord, over these coming weeks as we celebrate Advent and the the remembrance of your coming and you being fully God and fully man, we ask that you draw our hearts closer to you and each other so that you will be glorified, that we will be encouraged and edified, and that we will be empowered and joyful to share you with others. And we ask these things for the sake of Christ. Amen. Today's message is called Jesus Born Through the Holy Spirit. And he was born through the Holy Spirit so that he might live among us as fully God and fully man. And today, as in the scripture that we just heard read, we see that Mary was in a situation that was very unique. She was a a virgin mother. 
And now we're told, now the birth of Jesus took place in this way. And for Matthew, he doesn't go into the birth narrative. He goes more into the origins of Christ. How is it possible that he was born fully God and fully man? And we hear and we read in verse 19, when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child. Okay, well, what does that mean? What does that actually look like? Well, first of all, let's remember who Mary was, at least what her experience would have been like a little bit. She was a young teenager. Girls were betrothed as early as the age of 12. Often by 13, 14, they were arranged in marriage to someone who was a little bit older than, older than maybe 18, 19, 20. And so we're not given those details, but she, we know that the arrangements had been made and she was betrothed to Joseph. And what that meant is she was in a, a period of a year where they were legally married in a way. It was like a, a, a more legal engagement. They were legally married for that year, but they weren't together. They didn't live together. They didn't sleep together. And it was a time to actually for the husband to know that she was pure so that whatever would happen as far as the family afterward, that those children were theirs together from no one else. And now we're told that during this time of being betrothed, she was found to be pregnant. And what Matthew wants us to know right away is that this was something that was ordained by God and it was foretold in the Old Testament. And we find this in Isaiah verse 7, verse 14, where we hear this prophecy, Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son, and she will call his name Emmanuel. Matthew, throughout his gospel, wants people to know that these things aren't just happening by chance. It's ordained by God. There's a whole narrative from Genesis through Revelation. It's one story written by our God. And he's saying, see these things that were predicted years ago, hundreds of years ago. God knew what he was doing. He has a plan. And now this plan is being fulfilled. What he wants us to know is that Mary's pregnancy was not scandalous at all, but it was spirit-given. This baby came from the Holy Spirit. We're told that in this verse. We're told that she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. The next verse says, when Joseph was received in a dream from a, an angel, said, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. What a beautiful reality that God, Jesus, was able to be born pure God, pure man, because of the Holy Spirit. The Bible describes him as being the second Adam. The first Adam was formed of clay, breathed life into, and was without sin. Sin entered the world very shortly after that. And Jesus is the second Adam. He's the only human being after Adam and Eve to be born without sin. And because of that, he could be our redemption. He could be the one who not just relates to us, but is able to redeem us, take the penalty of our sin. And it's because Mary was overshadowed with the Holy Spirit. In Christ, humanity and divinity are perfectly united in a beautiful way. We're not told how this is possible. We're just told that it is possible. This is what has happened. And the Bible is very 
good and just saying, this is what reality is. Look at the tension between him being human and him being divine. Well, now we're celebrating Jesus was born, but we know that he existed eternally. We're told that Jesus grew in wisdom and stature, and yet he's all-knowing. We're told that in his ministry years he got tired, but yet he's all-powerful. We're told that he died for us, and yet he lives eternally. He conquered death. The Bible says there's no, it looks like a paradox. It is a paradox, but it's absolutely true that Jesus is completely human and completely divine. We're not told much about Jesus' life growing up. From birth till he was in his 30s before his public ministry, we're really just told of one instance where he goes to the temple and he's talking with the Pharisees, the teachers there, and they're amazed at his wisdom and his parents are worried about where he is and he says, why were you worried? I'm, I was in my father's house. So we don't know much from birth till 30, but we do know that Jesus, throughout his life, had a deep relationship, not just with his earthly father, but with his heavenly father. And we're not told stories about how the Holy Spirit did things through his life during those years, and I sometimes wonder what what happened in those 30 years. And I don't know for sure, but I do know, or at least I believe, that he used those years to, to learn what it meant to abide with his father. As someone who is fully human, What did it mean to abide with his father? What intention was needed for that to take place? And I also think that he learned about obedience and how important it was to listen to his dad and obey his dad faithfully, continually. And I believe that partly because of verses like Hebrews 5 verse 8 where it says, although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And of course, that's climaxed on the cross, but Jesus suffered a lot before the cross. He suffered a lot in his earthly life, and in that, he learned obedience to his Father. And because of that, we can know that we need to learn to have obedience to our Father. We need to abide with him. This takes us to the second point of our message today, is that Jesus was born through the Holy Spirit so that we could have life in the Holy Spirit. He wants us to enjoy the same intimacy that he has with his heavenly Father. And he says it's possible because my Holy Spirit can live within you. You know, I think one of the reasons, again, why it's so important for us to to know that Jesus was fully man and to think about that deeply is to understand that he can relate to everything we go through. He knows us deeply and intimately. And he can redeem us. He can reconcile us. But the first thing is that he can relate to us. You know, if anyone ever had a dysfunctional family, it was Jesus. (laughs) If anyone ever was misunderstood, it was Jesus. In Matthew 12, we're told of Jesus spending the day with his disciples on a Sabbath day. They go and they pick grain in the field. They come across a man with a withered hand and Jesus heals him. And then they find a a man who's blind and mute. He's demon-possessed and Jesus casts out that demon and he makes him well. And all those beautiful things, you know what happens? The Pharisees see that and, and say, that's done in the power of Satan. 
And Jesus says, oh no, you know what, you can say whatever you want against me, but don't lie against the Holy Spirit. Don't blaspheme the Holy Spirit. That's a sin that can't be forgiven. And they wanted to destroy him because of what he was doing that day and what he had been doing, showing the glory of God through his life. They want to destroy him. This is what's happening in chapter 12. It's a pretty grim chapter. And then towards the end of the chapter, Jesus is talking about good fruit and bad fruit and how you can see that in in a tree. And he's inside teaching the people and his disciples. And then we're told that his family are outside and they're wanting to speak with him. That in itself doesn't sound so bad. From Matthew, that's all we're told. From Mark, we're told that they're out there because they think he's out of his mind. Can you imagine again? Jesus knows what it's like to be misunderstood. He's lived with them 30 years and the best person you could ever imagine. And his family thinks, you're out of your mind. And so when he hears that, he responds by saying, well, who's my brothers? Who's my mother and and who are my brothers? And he looks around at his disciples And then he says, these are my family. He says, for whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and my sister and my mother. And he's not at all putting down biological relationships. But he is saying spiritual relationships trump biological ones. We need to be focused on our family in God. And he says, whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and my sister and my mother. I just briefly want to say, I'm so glad that God just added in there my sister and my mother. God created men and women to be beautifully unique and that together we can express the glory of God through the differences in our gender, the differences in personalities. God doesn't have favorites that way. He created everybody to reflect him, and we do it together beautifully. And he created gender to be a beautiful expression of his character as well. But the key in this verse is that, well, how do you become part of this family? And he says, whoever does the will of my Father in heaven. John 6, verse 4, he says this, This is my Father's will, that whoever sees the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and that I should raise that person up on the last day. There's many things that we can say is, I wonder what the will of God is, but this is so clear that God's will for us is to recognize Christ, to submit to him, to find our life in him so that we can have eternal life and so that we can be raised up on the last day. What's eternal life? Just a simple clarification is each person born and from what, how I understand scripture, has what's called everlasting life. We all have a beginning, but we don't have an end. And in this life, we have a decision to make is, where do we want that life to go? Where, who do we want to spend it with? Do we spend it with Christ for eternity or apart from Christ? And apart from Christ is hell. And with Christ is heaven. So you're blessed with everlasting life. Who do you want to spend it with? The will of your Father is to spend it with Christ, with the Holy Trinity forever and with his family. The reason we have eternal life is when we give ourselves to Jesus, he becomes our life. He resides within us. That's why we have eternal life, 
because Christ gives us himself. He wants us to be part of his family. The family of God is a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful reality. And I can say truthfully that I know that we don't experience that perfectly here. We're so far from it. But it doesn't take away from the reality that the Bible says that once you've given your life to Christ, something substantial has changed in your relationships. You belong to the family of God. I've been reading through the World Watch a magazine that we were given as we did the International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church. And day after day, praying for people who are in hard situations, sharing their faith so that others could come to know Christ. And lots of the prayer is for those who come to know Christ and the relational isolation they feel because their family is rejecting them. So here are people who say, I believe in the truth of who Jesus is. I know I need him to save me. I gladly receive him as my Savior and Lord. I want the Holy Spirit to reside in me. And they have entered the family of God. And yet their daily reality is they've probably never felt so isolated in their life by the people who loved them the day before. But the reality is that we have a union with God through his Holy Spirit that's hard to imagine. And that we're meant to experience that together. And one of the sins that we need to confess is that we hinder the union of the Holy Spirit among us. We don't enjoy that as fully as we should. Life is meant to be that I receive from God and I give to you without any expectation of return. I hope that there's mutual giving back and forth. But the goal of life is to receive from our Father because he gives us abundantly, overflowing, and he says, give to others. And church, I can tell you that if each of us learns to live that way together, we will grow not only in our love for God, but our love for each other, Relational isolation will begin to decrease and people will wonder, how can you have such love in this world? How do you have such hope? And then we can point them to Jesus. And then we can point them to the Holy Spirit among us because they will see that there's something different in the family of God. So the question today is, are you a member of Christ's family? I'm not asking you, are you a regular church attender? Or do you believe in right things? Do you live a moral life? The question is, are you a member of Christ's family? And the only way to say yes to that is yes, because my life belongs to Jesus. He's forgiven me. He's redeemed me. He's become my life. John 3 verse 5 answers the question of, how are we to be born again? Jesus replied, very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the Spirit. There's different interpretations of what that last part means, the water and the Spirit. For me, I've come to understand that the water is symbolizing the act of cleansing, of purifying. It goes back to Ezekiel where it talks about sprinkling water and cleansing the people. 
In order to be born again, we first need to be cleansed. And we can't clean ourselves. We don't just sprinkle water on ourselves. It's God. It's Jesus who cleanses us, who forgives us of our sin, who makes us a new creation. And once he's done that, now we're ready to have the Holy Spirit reside in us. That was the beauty of Pentecost. Something that had never happened for the centuries before is that, whoa, you could have God live within you because of Pentecost, because Jesus died, rose, and went into heaven. He could send us his comforter to live within us. And you know you're part of the family of God when you have been cleansed by Christ and you have received life in the Holy Spirit. It's the most important question you could ever answer and I hope you answer it positively. And I hope that in answering it positively, you believe the truth that you have entered into a family. And no matter how you feel today, know that God loves you deeply. And know that your brothers and sisters in Christ are meant to love each other deeply as well. We have much to grow in that, but the hope of our salvation is that we will grow, we will mature in that love, and someday it will be perfected for eternity. Well, we enter the family of God so that others might also be invited to have life in the Holy Spirit. It's important to understand that God didn't just come to, to save us and then have a relationship with him. He wants us to have a relationship with the church family, but he wants others not yet in the family to come and know him, to share life in him. The last chapter of Matthew, we're introduced to what's been commonly called the Great Commission. And just before the commission is shared, Jesus shares a claim saying that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. He's made a claim. I'm in charge of everything. And because of that, listen to this. And this is the Great Commission. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely... I am with you always to the very end of the age. It's important as we read these words to recognize what the command actually is. Because it's not a suggestion. It's not a, it would sure be nice if you did this. It's a command. And the command is to make disciples of all nations. If you're in Christ, you are a disciple. And part of the reason, the main part of your existing is to glorify your God by helping others come to know him. We're all meant to be disciple makers. The problem is sometimes we read these things and we think so self-centered, so individually. We as a church are called to be disciple makers together. We love our neighbors together, our families together who don't know Christ, and through that love, people might come to know him. Of course, there's individual responsibility, but it's more about our corporate responsibility to make disciples, not just of our neighborhoods, and that's hugely important, but of all nations. God loves all people, just like we talked about the beauty of male and female. God loves all ethnicities. He created them to express how majestic he is. And we're supposed to make nations, disciples of all nations. So there's a process that 
these verses describe us going into. And the first part is just to go. And there's two ways that we could understand this. One is to go to other places. We need to remember that when Jesus spoke these words, he wasn't in Winnipeg. He wasn't in a place where on the same street there might be multiple different nations around you. He was saying, all nations, the whole known world needs to know about me. You need to go there. You need to tell people about me. I want to just ask you, and this is a question I ask myself too, is, Lord, do you want me to go somewhere? Is there a people group that you want me to meet? If you haven't asked that question, you need to. Because again, this isn't a suggestion. It's said to the church. But as individuals, we need to think, Lord, do you want me to go somewhere to speak to some people? And I'd encourage you to ask that of your friends. Could you see me being a missionary? Could you see my gifts and my talents? Could you see that used somewhere? And if you guys come into agreement, then I say, come talk with our church leadership. We need to discern that in our church. There have to be missionaries in our church. I can't believe that God would create a people group and give us the command to go reach all nations, but none of us feel the call to do that. Some of you will be called. And for some of you to go elsewhere, we will have the privilege of partnering with you, of loving you, supporting you, praying for you, visiting you. Think about that. The other way that go is thought of is just make disciples as you go. And for the majority of us, that's what it refers to, is make disciples as you go, as you're living your life, as you go to work, as you pick your kids up from school, as you play on your sports team, wherever you are, make disciples as you go. Lord, would you open my eyes today to the person who needs to hear about you? Will you give me the courage and the joy to share openly what I know about you? Will you help me to find ways to invite them into our church family so that they can see the love of you among us and that they can understand that we're dysfunctional too but that you're our heavenly dad and we're becoming more and more like you because of your continual love, your never-ending mercy? Go. And when you go, be ready to baptize them. Do we believe that when we share the good news of Jesus Christ that people will respond positively? Or do we always have in our mind, oh, I don't want to say that because they're not going to want to hear. This is the best news ever. I want instilled in my heart that it's worth sharing no matter what anyone's response is because they need to know that God loves them and that they need Jesus. Do I believe that God might give me the privilege of leading someone, discipling someone to the point where they want to be baptized. And baptized how? Baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. This is beautiful. This is Matthew saying that we have a God that is one and three persons. It's the first very clear way of saying we have a God who's described himself as triune. You don't see the word Trinity in the Bible, but this tells us that that's the truth. We have a God who's one, who's unique, and he's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. 
And it's interesting, it doesn't say in the names of, it says in the name of, a singular. They're one God with three unique roles. You can't picture God well. I can't give you a, 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 a good object lesson of this is how the Holy Spirit is. Sometimes you'll see things about an egg or water. None of those things actually suffice well. But what is true is God is the Father. God is the Son. God is the Holy Spirit. And the Son is not the Father or the Holy Spirit. And the Father is not the Holy Spirit or the Son. And the Holy Spirit is not the Father or the Son. That's a mystery. And I can't explain it to you. I can just tell you that it's true. And it's beautiful. What we see here is that the Son glorifies the Father in everything, and the Father glorifies the Son. The Father glorifies the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit glorifies His Father. The Holy Spirit glorifies the Son, and the Son glorifies the Holy Spirit. They love each other completely. If you want a definition of love, you need to know who God is. Because God is the essence and source of love. His whole being is love. There's no selfishness in it. There's no competition. There's no hierarchy as far as who's more important than the other. They are perfectly united and perfectly distinct. What a message for our world that's so divided because of differences. God has created us to be one with him. To have love together as he loves within himself. He didn't create us because he needs love. He created us because he's love. And he wants us to experience him fully. And the only way that we can do that is not only giving our lives to him, but giving our lives to each other in Christ. What a beautiful reality that we are invited to enter into. So again, in the Trinity, we see perfect unity in diversity. And I think that's a beautiful message for our world today. So in making disciples, we're told to go, we're told to baptize, and then we're told to teach. Teach them to obey everything that I have commanded you. Let me ask you this. What has God taught you that you feel you should share with others? I'd say everything that God's taught you we should share with others at appropriate times and appropriate ways. And if I say, well, Lord, what have you taught me? If I have to look all the way back to when I went to Bible school or took a seminar, I'm totally missing out because God is teaching us all the time. Every time you open up your word and say, Holy Spirit, just help me to meet with you today. Lord, help me to know you today. Help me to understand who I am in you today. He teaches us. He teaches us as we talk with one another. And what God says is, what I teach you, I want you to be ready to teach others. You don't have to be an academic superstar. You just need to have a relationship with me and share with others what you know about me, what's true about me. And if you need help, you know what? I've sent someone to help you. John 14, verse 26, The Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything that I have said to you. When you're in those situations and maybe you start to tremble a little bit because you can just tell that maybe God is opening up a door for you to share Christ with someone and you're nervous, 
And you turn to God and you say, Lord, help me. Help me to express you well. Help me have the courage to boldly and lovingly declare you and share you with them. And Holy Spirit, help me right now. Give me the right thoughts. Remind me of what I need to know. God answers those prayers when we ask without doubting. The Holy Spirit is within you. You don't have to rely on your own self to do something good. You need to rely, and I need to rely on the Holy Spirit. I I just have to get out of his way. I have to stop hindering him and say, shape my mind, transform my thoughts. Lead me in the way after everlasting and help me, Lord, in this conversation. It's a real blessing to have the Holy Spirit transform your thought life. Romans says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's what God wants for us. There's so much that we think about that's wrong, that's inaccurate. We misunderstand God in so many ways. We misunderstand ourselves in so many ways. And God says, let me transform your thought life by the grace of the Holy Spirit. And you spend time in my word, spend time talking with brothers and sisters, and let the Holy Spirit guide you. I hope one of the things that you've been encouraged with today, that you've been reminded of, is the beautiful reality that in Christ we see someone who's fully man and fully God. And that he loves you. He cares for you. He's made it possible for you to have life in his Holy Spirit. To enter the family of God so that you could extend that invitation to others. God's voice wants to be heard through many different voices through our church. To the people that you love and you care about. Or the neighbors that you don't yet know. And God's saying, get to know them. Because I care about them. I came to live and die for them. I was resurrected, I went to heaven, I sent the Holy Spirit for them. Tell them. That's our great privilege. And over the coming weeks as we celebrate Advent, I pray that we again continually remember that this isn't about celebrating a birthday party for Jesus. We're remembering the beautiful fact of his incarnation and what that means for us. Jesus was born of the Spirit so that we might be born of the Spirit so that we could invite others to be born of the Spirit. That's the thrust of what we hear in Matthew. And in all that, this is what I really want you to leave with today is the beautiful words that Christ says, and I am with you always. I'm assuming there's many of you right now that feel isolated in one way or another. You're discouraged because you can't be with your family. Or this situation just highlights loneliness. And God right now wants you to know that in Christ, he is with you always. He has sent his Holy Spirit to live in you, to be your comforter, your guide, your strength, your hope, your wisdom, everything good. And he has a plan for you. And he has a plan for our church. And that plan involves expanding his kingdom as we share the love that we've experienced with him with each other and then invite others into it. I pray that we do that and enjoy that over this Christmas season. And that we remember Emmanuel, God with us. 
Matthew did a wonderful job led by the Holy Spirit to start his gospel by saying Jesus will be named Emmanuel, God with us, and ending the Great Commission by saying, go and I am with you always. With that, let's join in prayer as the worship team comes to lead us in a closing song. Father, we thank you so much for the reality of Jesus Christ. We thank you that because of Matthew, we get to understand the beauty of the Holy Spirit and how it was possible for Christ to be born sinless and to be purely human because he was overshadowed by the Holy Spirit. And we thank you for the beauty of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Lord, help us to enter into you more deeply as a church family. Help us to abide with you. Help us to obey you. And may that obedience lead us to sharing you with others so that your kingdom may grow through us and we may celebrate you as you deserve to be celebrated. We ask these things in the precious name of Christ. Amen.